Hey guys, welcome to episode 126 of the Filmgasm Podcast. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Austin Johnson. And this is a two-year anniversary spectacular. Can't believe it. Crazy stuff, man. Two years gone by fast. Last year we did uh, The Shining. That was kind of a one-year anniversary, and we got something even more fun in store today. Yeah, we're going to go through our catalog and pick out what we think are the top 20 scariest films that we've covered on this podcast. And we're not just going to count the movie overall. We're going to talk about moments, talk about atmosphere, and just what it is about these films that made the cut. So, top 20. Yeah, and and list-making is an art. (laughs) It's a craft. It's very difficult to do. This is not a list that reflects our favorite 20 movies. Cause that would look way different. Yeah. And it would be redundant because there'd be a lot of, you know, quote unquote classics on there. And this list, like Connor said, is more about moments that stick out to you shouting out movies that don't get enough love. Uh, and, and, you know, properly making a list of 20 movies that represent kind of what our podcast has become. Uh, and I haven't been on film guys in a long time, so I'm hella excited. Yeah. It's been a while. Uh, for those of you, who just follow this podcast. We also have two other podcasts, Oscar Sunday and the sneak preview, which Austin is co-host of both of those shows. And I am now co-hosting filmgasm with Josh Allred and Julie Cervantes every other week. Uh, awesome team. We're going to talk a lot about, uh, how far we've come towards the end of the show. But, uh, for now let's break into this list. Let's do it. See what we got at number 20. This is a film, uh, the only film of 2020 that we got to see together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we did see Tommy Boy. True. <laughs> that was our weird farewell to the theater. Yeah. But this came out back in February of 2020. Mm-hmm. That would be episode 56, The Invisible Man. Uh, big surprise. I I knew this was going to be good, but damn, it was a uh, it was a winner, and it was very creepy and very smart. Extremely, yeah, I think kind of undisputed for you and I is the strongest horror input of 2020, where it might not be our very favorite personally, but it, it just has a lot to offer as a movie. And really cool performances from, you know, Aldous Hodge and Elizabeth Moss, like some awesome stuff happening and gets you really excited for what's going to happen with Universal and other horror movies that are to come in the future. Yeah. So I, I think it's a good shout to have the Invisible Man on there on this list as a film that we will never forget because it is the last new release that you and I got to see together. So yeah. it, it's got to be here. Yeah. And it is a film that really treats uh, spousal abuse with a great deal of respect and is just a great thriller that keeps you guessing. There's so many moments in this movie that just come out of fucking nowhere. Namely, uh, we're going to spoil a lot of films on this pod on this one, by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, we're just assuming that you've been listening since episode one and you get it. <laughs> uh, but for me, it's the scene where Elizabeth Moss's character is at dinner with her sister and all of a sudden Adrian comes out of fucking nowhere, kills her sister and puts the knife in her hands. Like in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty spectacular. And as we go through this list, you'll hear both of us talk about how we're really desensitized and it's really hard to quote unquote scare us, but unsettle. I get unsettled quite frequently with horror. It's my favorite part about the genre is the way it kind of stirs me up in the couch, you know, and that's what the invisible man did. Yeah. And that moment specifically is the one that we both kind of thought of as we 
we're putting on the list. Yeah, great shout out. Uh, I, I love <laughs> I love movies that are able to mess with yeah your 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 kind of your main character in a way where our perspective is like oh my god like <laughs> we know exactly what's going on and we we were with her we're with her the whole way but she looks crazy to these other people and yeah. I just love when horror does that and I love a good like revenge movie and Invisible Man kind of turns into that which is really cool and you were talking about being unsettled like that's the ultimate feeling I feel for horror way more than being scared yeah and there's hundreds maybe thousands of films that I still want to do on this podcast because they unsettled me yeah and uh, yeah this is just you know just the beginning we're you know two years in but we still have so much more planned oh for sure some classics to get to some personal favorites to get to movies we you know uh, movies that are going to pop up similar to like this list where we're rewatching it and get a whole new light, you know, get a whole new perspective. So it's, it's a blessing. Honestly, it's so much fun. Oh, it's the best. It is the best. Uh, next up. Number 19 is a film that I did not like upon my first watch. And then I watched it for the podcast and found something in it. And it's now become one of my holiday staples. Episode 43, black Christmas. Oh yeah. 1974. One of my favorite movie years. (laughs) Uh, just some, some incredible stuff come, come coming out in that that year in Black Christmas is on that list for both of us is, you know, along with some other, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think you look at those two from that year and it's just incredibly strong horror input, you know, uh, movies that stand the test of time. And I've only seen it once and it just rattled me, you know, it just rattled me to the core. And I'm so glad that you uh, were able to give it a rewatch and have a reason to kind of talk about that on, on that episode. I, I fondly remember that because we, plan on doing this, you know, for as long as we can, this pot, you know, doing film guys and Oscar Sunday and sneak preview and giggle guys. We plan on doing this for a long time. And so movies like black Christmas are, are, are ones that I want to do every Christmas now. Like you said, it's become a staple. I want it to become a staple, <laughs> a staple in film guys. but there's so many damn movies to do every year around Christmas. Uh, yeah. this is one of the best though. Yeah. It's incredibly creepy. Um, and it's a film that has no, uh, like no retribution in the end. It's just kind of left open and that you don't see that a lot in film and it really freaks you out because you, you know, you go in hoping, ah, this is going to be resolved. Good's got like, good guy's going to win. Bad guy's going to get theirs because this is Hollywood, but black Christmas, Billy vanishes. Yeah. And you don't know what the fuck happened to him and you don't know why he did this. You don't know who he is. He's just some psycho broken into a sorority house and killed everybody. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, the phone calls, the like, I through the doorway. There's so many creepy moments in black Christmas. Yeah. Talk about atmosphere. You know, I think the seventies, seventies horror. There's so many movies you can point to that have that atmosphere that you're kind of looking for. Yeah. And I think black Christmas is, is one that, that just stands out. Yeah. It's fantastic. I can't believe that Bob Clark made a black Christmas and a Christmas story. Yeah. Like that's awesome. Yeah. Incredible. (laughs) Incredible. Uh, when a filmmaker can, do both do <laughs> do both versions of a, a sort of Christmas story? Yeah, unbelievable. And we've been, you know, for the past two years, kind of planning out Halloween themed movies for October, Christmas themed movies for December, and uh, we're we're running out pretty quickly, which is kind of crazy because we kind of you know went a little, we blew our our wad there twice. <laughs> so we're, um, here's hoping you know Christmas twenty twenty one we've we've got some stuff to to throw on there. I think we do. <clears throat> I mean, there's two remakes of this. Yeah. <laughs> 
There you go. And for, for Oscar Sunday, we're good because we, you know, like Home Alone has an Oscar nomination. Scrooge has an Oscar nomination. Yeah. We did Die Hard. You know, we'll, we'll continue to do stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then sneak preview is going to be weird because Christmas movies tend to come out in like September these days. Yeah. So you'll get it when you get it. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, number 18, another film I didn't like upon my first watch or my second watch. And my third watch, it scared the living shit out of me. Episode 54, The Blair Witch Project. Mm. One of the most famous horror films in history because it really messed with people's heads. It made people think that this was real. It was the first time they'd ever seen anything like this. If you don't count the last broadcast, which it totally ripped off. But um, there's just something so real and like unnatural about The Blair Witch Project. It feels like a snuff film. And it's it still holds up, in my opinion. Yeah, this is one that I, as a movie, just just don't care for as much as you. <laughs> but I, I think there is a stretch of it that caused a wave of found footage horror to come about, to you know, for people to be inspired. And for that, I'm pretty grateful for it. Um, I think found footage can go really horribly or can go really well. And I think Blair Witch is one of the ones that actually balances it, where, like you said, sometimes it looks like a snuff film. And other times you're like, whoa, this yeah. is some of the best atmospheric horror I've ever encountered. Yeah. And that's really what it's all about is if you're into that atmospheric, you know, element, uh, you know, and this is nothing new. Blair Witch, like you said, is one of the most popular horror movies, but, but it really is hinged upon that. And if you like that, I think it deserves reevaluation. It deserves a rewatch for those reasons. Well, and you got to take into account that in 1999, this was freaky. I mean, this was unheard of, you know, people, like they put actual want, like, you know, missing posters across Burkittsville just to help with the, you know, this was the first viral marketed like movie. Yeah. And it, you know, it's still the most profitable film in history. I mean, like it was like $10,000 to film. It grossed like 300 million bucks. Yeah. I mean, come on. And yeah, there's just some moments in this that are just mind boggling. I mean, you don't know if this really is a supernatural villain if this is a serial killer if this is these two guys trying to kill the girl yeah you don't know shit and at the end of it you still don't know shit you're just left with this uneasy feeling yes which is just great yeah that's that's the point of this list is <laughs> what what kind of pushed you to a different place mentally than when you started the movie yeah. exactly exactly uh moving on a film that i've adored since i first saw it uh, number 17, episode 79, 28 Days Later. Mm. One of the smartest zombie films ever made and just a frighteningly realistic horror movie, <laughs> especially now that we've gone through a pandemic of our own. Yeah. Uh, 28 yeah. Days Later is a film that's been revisited big time in the past year. And uh, thankfully, COVID didn't turn us all into zombies uh, yet. But to, yeah, 28 Days Later, I think, uh, will always hold up just something about that film. It feels too real. Uh, it's, it's totally unique. Uh, it, it is, it's the best zombie movie. I mean, I, I don't think there is uh, one that can, I don't think there is one that can surpass it in. You mentioned how it feels, feels all too real. <clears throat> just, just the decisions that are made behind the camera are unlike anything that was happening in the early 2000s with horror. Yeah. Or what was happening with, with film in general. It's like, it's kind of like you're watching like Alfonso Cuaron's Children of Men, also with like a gritty 70s slasher. It's really weird how 
kind of mashes a bunch of different things we love about the horror genre into this one thing. And then it has the benefit for me and for you, and I know a lot of fans, has the benefit of Naomi Harris and Murphy just having these awesome careers since then. Oh, yeah. And that helps tremendously when you're watching a movie. Uh, these two people are just crushing it in this, this you know, nasty <laughs> zombie movie. It, it benefits now that they've had such cool careers. Yeah. And you look back and you're like, oh, man, I see where they got started. <laughs> Not just them, but also Brendan Gleeson and Christopher Eccleston and Danny love, Boyle, really. love Brendan Gleeson in this. Oh. It's just, yeah, it's Danny Boyle's decision to shoot on digital video. Yep changed a lot of different you know a lot of things in the, in the horror industry that was not something that really was done because it was fairly new and now that's pretty much this gold standard at this point the film is rare now uh. yeah yeah no kidding <laughs> but you know fast zombies fast the sc- scariest thing about 28 days later for me is that it is a biological weapon that gets out of hand and turns you within 13 seconds i mean that is scary shit that stuff gets, you know, we see it in 28 weeks later. It gets into a crowd. That crowd is all zombies within two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fuck, man. I can't wait. 28 weeks later is on my podcast bucket list right now. I'm very much looking forward to doing that one. Hell yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Beautiful, beautiful. One, one, one of my favorite movies on this list, for sure. Oh, me too. Easy 10. Uh, moving on, another groundbreaking film. We actually brought it up once already on this show. Uh, number 16, episode 101, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Brilliance. OG, Leatherface's first outing and a fucked up movie still to this day. Uh, not really bloody, which is weird. I think we talked about that, like how, like the lack of blood and how this is kind of misremembered. Yeah. But it's still incredibly disturbing and freaky and weird and, you know, hard to recommend to people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite Texas movies, you know? Yeah. Here we are in San Antonio. Um, well, actually, we're in San Marcos right now recording this one. True. Uh, <clears throat> um, super, super into this movie. Definitely another one of my favorite movies on this whole list, like personal favorites. It it re- requires uh, definitely a you know a, a stomach, a full stomach. You need to you need to eat before because you mentioned how it's uh, the lack. There's like a lack of gore, like you know the definition of gore, blood, and all this stuff happening. Yeah, but it's one of the more unapologetic movies we have on the whole list where it just disallows you to get comfortable really the whole movie. Uh, it's very short, very to the point. And by the end of it, you, you really are like, I, I, I kind of want to get out of here. You <laughs> yeah. really, but even like 30 seconds into this family when she's tied up, I, that is one of the most disturbing scenes I've encountered, you know, and uh, I just think it simply had to be on this list. That was one of my favorite episodes we got we got to do. <laughs> we, we just we, we were both just kind of blown away by the watch we had and being able to talk about it. You realize so much more, you know. Yeah, you realize so much more. And you know, Toby Hooper just just an all star for doing this one. Yeah, I, I adore this movie. It's it's freaky, and it you know it's one of the films on this list that's on its franchise. It's ongoing. Yeah. And um, that's that's great. Even the, f- the films you know, don't exactly measure up. It's still great no. to have that legacy. Uh, you know, Leatherface is less of a character and more of a blunt instrument, like a weapon that this family just points at unknowing uh, drifters. Yeah. Uh, well, in the image of Leatherface with the chainsaw in the street at the end, yeah. it's like, man. That and just like scenes where he comes out of nowhere and just fucks up the kid in well, the wheelchair. The first, the, the first kill when they're trying to find, they're trying to find just the water hole. <laughs> Just right away with the, with the mallet. 
It's like, I don't need blood when I hear pop, thwack, and then like, a guy, and then a, just a body shaking. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Straight and he up. gets dragged in the sliding door. Cattle kill, man. Straight up. It's iconic. It's brilliant, especially if you've never seen this before. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, then, and then the house, right, is like I, totally iconic. You know, the gas station's totally iconic. The, the little things that they use in their favor, it's just, just a really stellar movie, stellar piece of filmmaking. Just practicality, like the, to its core. The sheriff cooking barbecue, yeah. yep. giving it to the people, just him at the dinner table, like, I can't take no pleasure in killing. Like, just, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh. brilliant, brilliant stuff. Man. Yeah, brilliant. this... One thing this podcast has done is it's really given me a whole newfound appreciation for a lot of films. Texas Chainsaw is right up there. Yes, agreed. Yeah, one of, definitely one of my favorite 70s uh, horror movies for sure. Oh, yeah. Moving on, number 15. Mm. Another film that I, I liked, hadn't seen in years, and then loved. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> I actually I actually remember not liking it that much the first time I saw it. Yeah. And then I was like, whoa, what was I watching? This movie's amazing. <laughs> Episode 29, Drag Me to Hell. Yeah. Sam Raimi's other, other, other demon movie. <laughs> and Yeah, I have to point that out. Yeah. <laughs> a real fright fest from beginning to end. For PG-13-09 horror film, this thing fucked with my head. Yeah. I, you don't know what's real, what's not real. When is Sylvia Ganoush going to come out and fuck this lady up again? Yeah. It's freaky. Like, And I like how you kind of you don't have a lot of loyalty here. Like, yeah, she fucked this woman over, but this other, you know, this old lady put an ancient curse on her. So who, who who's, who's at fault here? Who's in the wrong? Yeah. yeah. Did someone overreact? Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Uh fun fact that episode has blown up significantly more than anything else we've ever done with 13,000 views and counting on YouTube. I don't know why, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Keep spreading the drag me to hell love. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it's a freaky movie and a really cool watch, especially for Raimi fans, because it was nice to see him go back to horror. Mm-hmm. And After uh, just botching Spider-Man 3, yeah. Mm, I don't blame him for that. But that's another talk. Yeah, yeah that's a whole other, yeah. <laughs> he wanted to do his movie. The producers yeah. were like, you got to do this movie. And he's like, well, I don't want to do that movie. So and they're it went like, half and half and ended up being worse yeah. than anything. Exactly. You can't please everyone. Nope. If you try, you're going to please no one. <laughs> if you try, you're going to get Spider-Man 3. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, he's going to redeem himself with Doctor Strange 2. Yes. Which Bruce Campbell apparently just announced that he's not in. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. He tweeted, um, it was so cool to be in a certain movie with a certain director in a certain city. <laughs> like, we don't all know. Yeah. <laughs> well done, Bruce. Yeah. What are some, like, what's the scariest moment, if you can remember, in oh, Drag Me to Hell? Christ almighty. Uh, parking garage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... That's, parking garage scene is probably my, it's probably my favorite scene, and it just, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's one of those horror scenes that makes me smile, because it's so awesome, you know? It's yeah. so freaky, and, like, ah, it makes me, it makes me happy. For me, it's the attempted exorcism, <laughs> where the goat starts, like, talking, because that's pure evil dead right yeah. there. Yeah, it's <laughs> so cool. I yeah. love that. And then the ending where she ends up getting dragged to hell anyway. Because <laughs> she, ah, the button. Leaving Justin Long with, I don't know what. With severe trauma that he will never recover from. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. That's what we're all about here at Filmgasm. Trauma and just fucked up visuals. Yes. Speaking of trauma and fucked up visuals, uh, number 14 is a film that we talk about all the time. A film that inspired this podcast. A film that we have talked about twice Episode 1 and Episode 57, The Shining. Ah, 
No top 20 horror film list is complete without The Shining, especially considering its significance to this podcast as a whole. Yeah, has to be there. We would have felt wrong leaving it off. Um, with that being said, you know, it, we, we bring it up all the time. There's not a whole lot more I can add <laughs> to what I, how much I love this movie. And if we were doing our top 20 best movies, this to me would be number one. I don't think there's a movie that rivals it that we've done, that we've covered on Filmgasm. I think there's great movies we've talked about, uh, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a great movie, but I, I don't think it comes anywhere near what The Shining has done and what it means to me as a fan. And I know what it means to you as being just this crazy Stephen King adaptation, this crazy Kubrick movie that failed at first and then caught, it caught its audience. Everything about it is kind of intoxicating. I, I could talk about it, listen to people talk about it for hours. It's just simply, simply a masterpiece. Yeah, we did our one-year anniversary special on redoing The Shining yeah. and just revisiting it and getting to talk about a film that uh, is so awesome and so tense and yeah. thrilling and f- just unforgettable. Uh, scariest scene in The Shining. Where do we even go? Grady. In the restroom with Grady, uh, some, there's just some nasty stuff said right there that I don't think I caught the first time because you're just so enthralled by the visuals but then you then, then you then you you watch it for 25th time and, and you you start catching dialogue that's happening you know and you start catching things that are happening between you know this this jack torrance character and all the all these people uh or, or if he's just going crazy you know and I, I i love every moment of it it'd be hard to choose a specific moment that is the most freaky because because you do have the visual stuff. You have the blood coming out of the elevator. No one's done that, you know. No one can. No one can rival that except for Steven Spielberg, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and you and, and and then you have like some of the best acting in horror ever. Yeah. Between Duvall and, and Nicholson and these some some of the stuff that's happening, you know, where he's just throwing the tennis ball at the wall and that stuff is amazing too. So it's hard to compare scary to atmospheric to just great cinema because yeah. that's what the shining is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but if you had to pick a, a, like a creepy, a moment that you're always like, damn it. Like it just gets you. Yeah. Is there one for me? It's more uh, with the shining. It's more about the long game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the idea that Jack has been crazy since he's set foot in this hotel. Yeah. And the, you know, once, uh, Wendy finds the manuscript and realizes that since day one, he's been just, scribbling. Yeah all the work and no play makes Jack a dull boy for like six months now. And with that knowledge, you know, you go back and watch and you just have this idea in mind that he is losing his mind the entire time. It's a gradual process. Uh, makes this film just infinitely more, you know, creepy. But yeah. my favorite scene will always be Jack and Lloyd, the bartender, just shooting the shit. Oh man. <laughs> talk about, talk about Oscar worthy stuff from Jack. Yeah, or according to 1980s Hollywood, Razzie worthy. Yeah, yeah. Appar- apparently, uh, Jack Nicholson, twelve nominations, three Oscar wins, and I guess The Shining wasn't good enough. Uh, Fucking hell. Yeah, <laughs> or the Joker and Batman. I don't know. This this is why we have three podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Because we want to talk about all of it. Because I do love, you know, I love Five Easy Pieces in terms of endearment and. One from the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. But he's doing better stuff in The Shining. Oh, man. In the immortal words of Jack Nicholson, 
go sell crazy somewhere else. We're all stocked up here. <laughs> you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I do. I do love. I do think the kill, the Scatman Crothers kill, yeah, is one of the best, most well executed, like assassinations in a movie yeah. ever. You know, mm-hmm. the music, the da 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 da. Danny the, screaming. The weapon choice, like this <laughs> massive axe, and, and and what's happening, and that Scatman's going back. Yeah, but he's like, oh my god. Fuck. (laughs) He knows. Shit, shit, shit. Bad stuff's happening. He's got to go back and just brilliant. Just brilliance. Really, there's not... We probably sound ridiculous, but there's really not a beat. There's not a beat that I don't love. Shine. Not a a beat. From the opening, the the font that's chosen, the music, the the choice of, you know, panning over the cars. It's going through these these hills that are just a bit eerie. Yeah. Genius. It's a descent into hell. Straight up. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's so unnerving, <laughs> and it's a film. It's one of the few films on this list that I could literally watch all day, yeah, and just never lose sight of it. It's 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 it's, uh, it's definitely my favorite movie on this list. Yeah. Like my personal favorite. I think it's the best too. That's why it's so fun to talk about. It's like I love something that is is probably the best. <laughs> you know, that's it's a good feeling because that doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes you watch like a a cultural classic and you're not as into it as other people, and and that sucks. But with The Shining, I'm. We're, we're obviously some of those people who are kind of like all in, on yeah, it, like totally on board, you know. We and we we want to kind of know everything we can, you know, and watch the documentaries and do podcasts on it. It's, it's yeah, it's what yeah. we it's what we love to talk about. This is not going to be the last time The Shining comes up on no. this podcast. No, just the third. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, uh, number thirteen, a film we drew from the book of Filmgasm. Another thing we implemented this year for the first time. Yeah. Uh, which has given us some excellent choices and some shitty ones. But, you know, it's a a coin toss. And uh, this was a great one. It's uh, 2014's As Above, So Below, episode 92. Yeah. A film about, you know, descending into hell itself to find, you know, the elixir of life, the Philosopher's Stone, and just, you know, what you find in hell and how it reflects who you are. This movie was so smart. And I was not expecting it to be smart. Yeah, we, we've. I see a pattern here. We, we've we've had a lot of like really strong atmospheric movies, and this one, one of the strongest. Oh God, I you know. Oh man, I, some of the <laughs> some of the scenes underground are yeah, were, were were quite difficult to get through. And and I, I I loved the play on Paris and like really really trying to use French culture yeah. in this horror movie. That, that kind of translate to anybody, you know? Yeah. Well, I've always been, you know, a little freaked out by the Paris catacombs. The idea uh-huh. that there's just endless tunnel of graves under the city Crazy. that people get lost in every day. And to make a horror film about that, brilliant. Of to, course. To yeah. actually film there, holy shit. And it's just, it's mind-boggling how freaked out that movie got me. Because I think, deep down, I think we're all a little claustrophobic. We mm-hmm. all have a little issue with tight spaces. Especially when it's going to cause you maybe death. Yeah. Yeah. And this movie is the spaces keep getting tighter the the deeper they go. And you just, you know, you start seeing things in the peripheral and their knowledge of Dante's Inferno and like how they figure out where they're going and <sighs> how they can't get back and, you know, the random supernatural shit that just happens. I thought this movie was lights out. I was really surprised. Same. Yeah, it's 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 definitely one I remember fondly. We did this one and we did the guest Close to each other, both 2014 movies. Yeah. And both of them were, were rewatches for me that both 
like I, I needed, like I needed a reason to go back to it, a reason to figure out what I do and don't like about it and build an appreciation. That's what happened with as above so below. Cause the first time I watched it, it just kind of went over me, you know? Yeah. And that, that, that shit happens. And that's the power. That's the power of rewatching the power of buying things on DVD, <laughs> checking things out on streaming services. That's the power of it. And it's, you know, I think it's really, it shows how these podcasts have really kind of shaped and molded a new way we watch movies. Yes. We, you know, when we have something planned for the show, excuse me, um, we go in with a completely different mindset than something we want to watch on our own time. We are paying attention to more things. We're keeping it, you know, we're taking notes. So like, this would be cool to bring up on the show. Yeah. That was a really cool camera trick. I'll talk about that. Yeah. Things like on that. On Oscar Sunday, we have awards that we yeah. give out. And we, so you, you're forced to find things that you truly love within the film, even if you don't love the movie. Yeah. And vice versa, you know, uh, in all, you know, scenarios. And it certainly has helped you and I just kind of build a comprehension for movies and for the, the language that it provides. We're not fluent in it yet, but we're trying to learn, you know, we're trying to learn everything. And I don't think anybody's fluent. No, you can't, you can't be, you know, you yeah. can't be, you can't be a hundred percent fluent in, in movie, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you're constantly learning. To me, the closest we ever got was Roger Ebert. I trusted his, his view, but, uh, <sighs> Roger, Roger, most had of a, the time. Yeah. Yeah. He had a way of, <laughs> First off, seeing an extraordinary amount of movies, <laughs> you know, really, you know, clearly based his time around watching movies and then had a way of churning out reviews like that are, you know, 1500 words long sometimes <laughs> and really in depth and point out really cool things about it. He's puts his own kind of like personal love for it. And also he spills some facts about what's going on in the movie. This is why the cinematographer is so good because he's from this place. And that is that is the coolest thing to have an appreciation and honesty and also a fandom. Yeah. That's definitely what we're trying to build. Yeah. Yeah. And on the other side of it, when he hated a movie, he he let he it, the movie have it. He hated it. Yeah. It was, it was beautiful. It was, it's gorgeous because it's not a just this is dumb. Fuck this. It's like, you know, paragraphs explaining what's wrong with it to him. Yeah. And I, I, I love that. Even if I love a movie, I love when someone deconstructs it in a smart way. Yeah. I don't know if I brought this up on the show before, but this episode is all about looking back, so fuck it. Um, if you want yeah. some very interesting, hilarious reading, look up Roger Ebert's review of Caligula. Yeah. <laughs> you will not be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then look up something like his review for The Tree of Life, and you'll get both scopes of like, oh man, this guy can really take something down, and you can also build something up to be even more special than it is. Absolutely. Uh, moving on. Number 12. Uh, this was a no-brainer for our first year, and another film that we both adore, an instant horror classic that still holds up, and that'll be episode 34, Halloween. <laughs> uh, <laughs> another Easy 10, a film that we've sung the praises of for a while, and it's just yeah. a blast, and it's still so creepy. Extremely. It's, for whatever reason, you know... 40 plus years later, it still sets the bar for slasher still does. I don't, I don't think anything really rivals it unless Halloween 2018 counts. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe the best horror seventies movie too, you know, as far as quality, you know, pop culture relevance and it, the, what it influenced, what it's inspired. People still watch the shit out of this movie yeah, because it still looks pretty amazing. 
and then you have uh, you you have the benefit of Michael Myers being just a pretty much a perfect horror villain. You know, pretty much. Yeah, you've got you know this is the film that started John Carpenter's career. I mean, as much as we love Assault on Precinct Thirteen, this is the film that yeah. made him a star. Yeah, and for good reason. It's it's fantastic. I look at it like uh, for Paul Thomas Anderson, like he had a hard eight, but Boogie Nights is really what there you go. People were like, ah, oh, all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and then you go back and you gain an appreciation for Hard Eight. Yeah, and in this case, you gain an appreciation for Assault and Precinct Thirteen, which yeah. I I think is just an extraordinary film, but. You don't you don't have that appreciation if he doesn't make Halloween right after. <laughs> yeah, and then from there, you know, you go to the fog, Escape from New York, the thing, and he just never. Yeah. Well, he did eventually stop. But Big Trouble in <laughs> China, yeah, yeah, just, it's awesome career. Yeah, and there's a lot I, of Carpenter I still want to pursue on this show. I'd love to do Christine at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, fantastic filmmaker. Uh, scariest scene in Halloween. Ooh, um, <laughs> that oh, that's a toughie. Uh, the scene where, of course, it's, it's iconic. It's kind of everyone's, but the scene where Laurie supposedly killed him with the hanger in the closet, <laughs> and you just see him out of focus in the back, just slowly rise like Nosferatu, and then the music kicks in, and it's just yeah, it's it's a perfect scene. It's a perfect scare. <laughs> yeah, it, it truly is. It's hard to not, you know, how do you not talk about it when you're talking about Halloween? That's such a that's such a great question. I think I think. Now, what I've found to be one of my very favorite things about Halloween is is Jamie Lee Curtis's performance. Is yes the paranoia she captures of something that a trope that has been done over and over and over and over. But when it's done well, you can't ignore it. And she is a character who's like knows something's going on. She knows something's up. She knows this guy's after her. She knows this guy's after a bunch of people because she doesn't know what you know doesn't know the the whole motive. And these other people around her are acting like idiots, you know, and are, they're just, they're foolish. They don't know what's going on. They're, they're clueless. And when it's done correctly, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like when in, you know, Scream, when one of the characters is like, no, something shitty is going on. And the other character is like, nah, (laughs) that's one of the best things. But when it's done in Halloween, it's so serious and so committed. It it takes the, the movie past horror into this whole different, kind of atmosphere and that's why halloween i think is still where it is today and i think that's why you and i will kind of always talk about it and reference it because because it is it's kind of the quintessential slasher yeah and still stands today because of that that commitment to what it was doing at the time it was doing it and not trying to be funny about it trying to actually scare you i love when a movie really tries to go there i I would say when you see him behind the sheets outside and then you (laughs) don't yeah i mean that's yeah really really good stuff that People can do, but some people don't do it correctly. And this movie kind of nails all those things. Oh, hell yeah. A big part of that, I think, is Donald Pleasance mm. constantly feeding you little bits of information about Michael Myers the mm. whole time and building him up to be this unstoppable evil force of nature. Yes. You know, just the, the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes, things like that. It paints a picture of just pure evil. And it works. <laughs> Hundred percent, and the new one built on that, and that's why it was so good. Yeah, ah. <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, incredible movie. That, that one in The Shining, I, I, it's easy to <laughs> understand that you and I would have that somewhere in the top two <laughs> <laughs> if it was best movies. <laughs> oh yeah, I would have Young Frankenstein in here at least in the top three. Oh yeah, man, we've done some <laughs> movies that I yeah I just fucking like love with all my heart. You know, and some of them are right here. Yeah, yeah. I know the next one is yeah. uh, number eleven. <laughs> 
the only true story on this list. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, we haven't done a lot of biopics because no. th- those don't usually mesh with horror. <laughs> Unless they're about a serial killer. The Conjuring. <laughs> I, if, yeah, an argument could be made. Yeah. <laughs> um, episode 48, Zodiac. Mm. Uh, David Fincher's masterpiece about the Zodiac killer and the cops and uh, reporters who tried to catch him in San Francisco in the 70s. Uh, brilliant story, brilliant movie, yeah. and surprisingly really scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for a, long, for a long time, too. It's a long movie. Yeah. Uh, I, you mentioned Fincher just kind of just kind of showing off a little bit, I think at this point where it's like, Oh, I can, I can jump into any genre and compete with anybody at any given moment. <laughs> I, yeah, pretty much <laughs> at this, at this point he can't, you know, and he did it with seven. He's like, I can fuck with horror. Mm-hmm. And then he did it again with Zodiac and you're like, Oh man, you know, this guy, this guy really, the game too is pretty freaky, <laughs> but, but Zodiac above all, I, I mean, it's, it's my personal favorite Fincher movie. Because of, you know, because of those reasons that it's, it's, it's a Fincher movie. It's really strong, but it's also really, really scary. Every kill like knocks me out of my seat still, yeah. you know, right from the beginning when we're seeing, you know, we're hearing hurdy gurdy man where we see like, Oh, you, you scared the hell out of us there. And just bam, bam, Oof. like right away. Uh, the, the kill at the lake, anything with John Carroll Lynch is super unnerving. Uh, where he's wearing the Zodiac watch and Mark Ruffalo is like, let me see that. You know, that is, that gives me chills right now. thinking about, there's not a lot of movies on this list that has that power. where just the image of this guy without doing anything. He's just in his work clothes, like spooks you out big time. And that's, that's the Fincher quality of just building these people up, building these moments up to something so special. Well, John Carroll Lynch just has like, should have been up for supporting something in his performance. There's like, there's nothing in his eyes. He's em- he's an empty soul, and you can feel that. Just the way he responds to their questions. I'm not the Zodiac. And if I were, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> just this beefy, you know, Buffalo Bill Buffalo. voice. Yeah. But the mind of a genius, and it's just you. You know from the get go, he's the guy. And what freaked me out the most is that this happened. All of these are accurately portrayed. The mm-hmm. murders; these all happened that way. Fincher yeah. was very attentive to that. The scene at the lake with the couple who just get tied up and gunned down. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then there's like, you know, towards the end of the film, it just continues. It just does not let up. You have Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Robert Graysmith, like still on the hunt. Yeah. And he goes to that guy's house. <laughs> and he's like, no one has basements in California. I do. <laughs> like, ah! That's oh, that's a, that's amazing. That's the, like the art of atmosphere. That's the art of like storytelling, the art of messing with your mind and not even have to show you anything. He doesn't even have to show you anything about this guy killing somebody, but he's super creepy. And why does he have a basement? <laughs> and the, it's that simple. Sometimes horror movies or thrillers or whatever you want to call it, genre films, j- just, just know exactly what they're doing. And I think Zodiac thrown through has, it knows exactly what it's doing the whole time. It really does. And you get, you know, you get swept up in Gray Smith's obsession. Yeah. You need to know just as much as he does, you know, if this was true, if this was the guy. Yeah. And that end scene where he goes and talks to, to Lee in the store and just looks him in the eye. It's, 
free. And then immediately after that, the, the survivor picks him out of a lineup. Yeah. Holy shit. And, you know, they never got to question Lee because he died of a heart attack before they could. So as far as we know, the Zodiac killer got away with it. Crazy. It's fucking crazy. And, you know, there isn't, it's a, the elements of it being true really freaked me out when I watched it this time. Something about it yeah. got under my skin in a way it never had before. And I was like, I, I had trouble going to sleep. It was, it was weird. Mm. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, Donovan's hurdy-gurdy, man. I'll never hear that the same way again. Brilliant movie. There's a, there's, there's a few needle drops that are just like, who the fuck out? <laughs> yeah, there's like a, there's, a, you know, Donovan. There's a Marvin Gaye needle drop out of nowhere where it's just transitioning. You're like, who the hell do you think you are, Fincher? <laughs> pulls it off, pulls it off in this like cop crime thriller <laughs> slash horror slash I, I don't know what it's a genre bender. And for for what it's worth, yeah, I, I, I just think that. Zodiac's one of the stronger films we've gotten to cover. Yeah, that was a blast. And that was your first uh, birthday pick. Yes, we did that in uh, Brokeback Mountain that week. Um, yeah, then we were doing the bonuses. Yeah, yeah. I remember the bonuses. Of course, yeah. Those are my two favorite Hall performances. So. Nice. Had fun, yeah. Uh, with that, let's get into the top ten. Here uh, we go. Beginning with my birthday pick of that same <laughs> month. Uh, episode 46, An American Werewolf in London. The And I will stand by this till the day I die the greatest werewolf movie ever made. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I, obviously we're going to bring up Mr. Savini. Um, just an am- amazing artist when it comes to makeup, you know. Wasn't Savini. That's Rick Baker. Ah, oh, Rick Baker. <laughs> you, we've talked about this before. Savini, Savini, what's uh, or some more of his, his more. His... He did the Romero uh, Night of the Living Dead. There you Dawn go. Of the there Dead. You go. There that you was go. his big one. Rick Baker. Rick Baker's more your guy though, right? Yeah. He's yeah. the creature creator. He's yeah. the guy who, he's kind of the maestro of werewolves. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you see it here. You see yeah. it right here. What, what, what rivals it for werewolf movies? If there is anything that comes close. Uh, the clip. Cause I don't know. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot. I personally, I did not enjoy the howling. Mm-hmm. I thought that was stupid. I remember you saying that. Uh, ginger snaps was okay. I haven't seen dog soldiers or wolf. Uh, the closest, like the second best werewolf movie that I've seen is, uh, the original Wolfman from 1941. There you go. Okay. Uh, not a fan of the remake, even though Rick Baker won an Oscar again for makeup for the Wolfman remake. With Benicio Del Toro. Yeah. 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 He's the guy. He, you know, best makeup Oscar kind of exists because of an American werewolf in London because Rick Baker accomplished the impossible and gave us a full werewolf transformation in broad daylight. Well, not broad daylight. There's a full moon. But with the lights on. Yeah. And we see on everything. screen in the 80s. Yeah. This was unheard of. And it still is nightmarish and the most incredible werewolf transformation sequence I've ever seen and yeah. ever will see. And a movie that that uh, towards the beginning when it initially kind of shocks you is like funny at first. Yeah. And, and you're like, oh, I'm in for like a kind of Cohen-y, uh, you know, comedy. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And bam, you just get hit with this. Yeah. This amazing scene when they're walking uh god unbelievable that's still yeah that the whole opening is so brilliant though you know they're kind of banter on the on the moors yep you're talking about the woman i love i'm talking about a girl you want to fuck like that whole bit they're great you know the whole bit at the slaughtered lamb you know keep clear of the moors stay on the road lads like it's so perfect built up so well and then you just hear that howl there i've never heard another howl like that no you know it's monstrous yeah and Jack's attack out of nowhere is still so fucking terrifying. Oh, man. 
you feel that his scream, you feel the flesh tearing. It's just, it's yes. so real. <laughs> Fuck man. That movie. Oh, that one is a rival for the, of the, like with the shining for my all time favorite horror film. It really is. I love there. that so much. Back to back years too. <laughs> yeah. I love that movie to death and it freaks me out every time I watch it. And whenever I introduce it to somebody, I always forget about the 20 minute porno theater scene. Yeah. And I kind of just have to sit there uncomfortably while that happens. You're like, oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is a masterpiece. It's an incredible movie, still holds up. And uh, yeah, I could I'll sing its praises forever. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I had the treat of watching it for the first time because of this uh, uh because of this podcast. And it was one that had kind of been rattling in my head anyway. Like I need to see this. Yeah. Uh and boy, did it it just did not disappoint. Uh a, a movie that now I stand by as like, look what horror can do. Yes. Look what horror can do. <sighs> There's so many, like the fact that every song on the soundtrack has the word moon in it. Little stuff like that. You know, it's, it's great. And for this to come from the guy who just did animal house and the blues brothers. Beautiful. John Landis had a dark streak that we didn't know about. And I've got my own problems with Landis and his judgment. Yeah. But American Werewolf is untouchable, as far as I'm concerned. Badass movie. Yeah, perfect. Perfect werewolf movie. And I hope one day to find one that is close. close. I'll never find one that's on par, but I'm sure I'll find something that, you know, is very good. I'm still, you know, I'm still still looking. Always open. Uh, Number nine. Probably the most disturbing film on our list. Uh, (laughs) A film we went in blind, uh, paired with Audition. And we thought this was going to be the lighter one. And holy fuck, were we wrong. Episode 60, Ichi the Killer. Uh, A really fucked up Japanese crime action movie, (laughs) I guess, that has the most disturbing visuals I've ever seen in a film and have not left my mind. This was like almost a year since we've done this, and I've been thinking about this movie almost every day. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, it it really could be quite a bit higher on this list. Um, (laughs) I think I think Takashi Miike's Itchy the Killer is like uh, just just made for weirdos like us who <laughs> who haven't who haven't uh, who have been desensitized a little bit and you have to kind of go the extra mile to like make us really feel <laughs> weird. True. And and it's mainly you know Itchy the character of Itchy and then uh, Kikihara these two guys that are just kind of going toe to toe the whole movie uh, until they finally actually meet face to face. But it, but it's what's leading up to that, them individually, two of the most, you know, just kind of evil forces uh, I've seen on screen. You mentioned how it comes up in your head every day. Like, like the scene when he, when Itchy uses his heel blade to slice that guy in half. Stuff like that. In half long ways, yeah. by the way. <laughs> so that, and then, the, and then Takashi's like, I'm going to show you. The brain and all that stuff. So you actually see half the body just kind of doesn't look very good, but it is creepy as hell. Yeah. Um, and, and this movie does that kind of over and over and over. Uh, right from the beginning, uh, Kikihara's got a guy in fish hooks hanging from the wall, God. you know, and is pouring stuff on his back. And yeah, it's just like very brutal. And I understand if someone would be like, this is stupid. I don't want to watch anything like this. I get it. Yeah, I get it. But it's, it, it's definitely like, <clears throat> refreshing to watch a movie that, 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 that is like giving all of its effort into making you feel fucked up and uncomfortable. I can appreciate that. 
Yeah, and of course we'd have to go to Japan to find that. Uh, right, Takashi, yeah, Takashi Miike is a disturbed individual, but very creative. Ex- extremely. Uh, for me, there's there's a scene where Kakihara is like talking to a maitre d, and he says something that he doesn't like. So he just starts, he pins him down to the floor and just starts peeling his face off. Just starts grabbing it and pulling by the skin of his cheek. And then this woman crouches down and starts pulling the other cheek. And they're like laughing as they're ripping this guy's face off. And he can't scream because these are very powerful gangsters and they'll fuck him up even more. It's so messed up. Oh, God. Um, The the scene where Kagihara cuts off his own tongue and like cuts off half of it and is like, it'll grow back. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, he's like, I oh, I messed up, so I'm going to give you half my tongue. And the guy's like, I don't want half your <laughs> fucking tongue. I want you to not fuck my people up yeah. for no goddamn reason. <laughs> but he's just like looking right at the camera and you see the blade go through yeah. it. It's so... Ah. It's it's gnarly. Maybe, it's, the movie is gnarly. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not one that I... I don't think either of us are like, you have to see this. But you do if you want to go there. If you really want to go, go somewhere where you're like, whoa, I've never seen that. Whoa! I didn't know that could happen on the movie screen. Go to go to some Takashi Miike. Go to some Japanese, uh, you know, horror and thrillers. Like that's where it's at. Yeah. Just don't talk. You know, don't throw this on at a party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't be that guy. Yeah. Oh boy. Ugh, ichi. <laughs> Kakiata. <laughs> Number eight. Uh, a film that I've always loved. That I've always thought was fairly underappreciated yep. in terms of scare. And I'm glad we got to talk about it on the show. Episode 31, Poltergeist. Directed by... I'm pretty sure it's Steven Spielberg. I know Toby Hooper didn't have much to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> that joke is never it, going away. It's extremely <laughs> underrated movie, I think. I think it has, like, a false... I think it's misunderstood. I think now people are like... I think... Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it's in the same realm as, like, E.T., where it's just like an 80s like sci-fi movie. And people are like, yeah, it's a classic. But not really. Like It's way more impressive than that. And there's obviously specific moments that are frightening. Yeah. <laughs> and extremely um, it, it kind of thought-provoking in the way that, what would I do right here? Holy shit, you know? Yeah. Poltergeist is one of the most realistic ghost stories ever. Yes. Because, you know, it's a lot of, up to that point at least, a lot of horror films took place in, you know, gothic manners, abandoned asylum or something. This was the burbs. This was... You know, your dad's house. This is your mom's house. This is your house in 1982. And for that to be haunted is extremely frightening. Uh, And a lot of people, you know, will point to the clown doll or the tree. Mm -hmm. I've got one very specific scene in this movie that freaked me out. And it's when uh, Joe Beth Williams is in the kitchen. And uh, (laughs) she goes, she turns the corner to go to the fridge or something. She comes back and all the chairs are stacked up on the table in like a, two second frame that is mind-blowingly freaky just that the idea that that happened so fast and what the hell is living with me like yeah 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 no i love that i I love i love when ghosts are like organized yeah they're like oh i'm gonna clean your fucking kitchen (laughs) i'm gonna put your tables i'm gonna put your chairs in a place where now you can vacuum it's that is that is beyond creepy that someone not only like kind of moved your shit but they did it in order yeah. Like they had purpose with every place <laughs> they put it in. That is, yeah. Poltergeist is is awesome. And I know when we did that episode, it was like we're kind of speaking for it a little bit. Like 
like it is a little bit misunderstood compared to some of these other 80s movies like the shining's not misunderstood now the thing isn't misunderstood now this is well you know i'm sure that 2015 remake didn't help because yeah yeah, not at all now when you search poltergeist that comes up first that's true yeah and that sucked that movie's garbage but the original poltergeist is a brilliant watch it was up for like three four oscars uh I think it won visual effects or something. I, I believe you're right. Yeah. So there you go. And yeah, it's, it's creepy. It's awesome. And it's stands the test of time. And that's the best thing a horror movie can do is stand the test of time. Yeah. It's going to be 40 years old next year. Fuck. Damn. Maybe we redo it on Oscar Sunday. <laughs> yeah. I would love to do that on Oscar Sunday. Beautiful. Uh, moving on. Number seven. Whew. This was a, uh, this was a film that was chosen right after COVID hit and we had to reevaluate our recording schedule. So we were doing films that were exclusively available through streaming. So we could both watch it and then uh, do it, do our podcast through zoom. And you suggested episode 81, the brood Mm. (laughs) crony. Yeah. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. God, I love this movie. David Cronenberg is, I mean, yeah, he's Cronenberg. There, there's nothing. It's a, it's a taste. Yeah. <laughs> it's a distinct taste. And I've, because of the brood, now I've gone on my own, my own journey with Cronenberg really because of the fly 1986. Yeah. When I first saw that, it was shortly after I met you and you were like, dude, you know, this, <laughs> this is one of the ones you do need to see, you know, like you were like, it's kind of a universally claimed by the horror community as being certified badass. And it is 1986, just a stellar movie. But, you know, I want, I want to know more about this guy, this Cronenberg guy and doing, you know, stuff like The Brood and, you know, Scanners and Shivers and all these weird ass movies. <laughs> like he's just he's just got his own exact distinct, you know, style. And that's like my favorite thing about filmmakers, about writer slash directors. I love when they can do that. And The Brood is like a direct, you know, answer to one of the most popular movies from 1979. Kramer vs. Kramer. I love that so much. And it's so cool to watch this movie by Cronenberg who's like, ah, I think I can make it a little darker. <laughs> and Kramer vs. Kramer is this like oh, super sad drama about a, about these this couple, you know, divorcing and what are they going to do with their kid? <laughs> Cronenberg is like, ah, turns it up like way, you know, out of this world and just makes this extremely stylish 70s horror movie that creeped me out like crazy. The, the children... The children would be to me the most frightening because because they, the noises they make, you know, when they're going to that school and they go in the classroom and just start like killing kids. <laughs> ah, like it, it, it's like, oh, I don't want to send my own child to school. You know, it's yeah. just like, ah, oh, fuck. Like that is it's all amplified by the score. The score is the scariest thing about the brood. Cronenberg knows how to pair yeah. really cool composers with this stuff. Even in the later stuff, like History of Violence, you know, even those scores are pretty cool. Was that Goldsmith? I think it the is. The Brood, was that I Jerry Goldsmith? Is. Let's look that up. The Brood. It's a good enough score that we should know. Yeah. Yes. The Brood is Howard Shore. Howard Sh- oh, okay, there we go. There we go. Lord of the Rings. Makes sense, makes sense. I knew I loved it for a reason. <laughs> yeah, The Brood, the, when, I, when you told me, when we did the Kramer versus Kramer uh, Oscar Sunday and you told me that <laughs> The Brood was Cronenberg's divorce movie. Yeah. I couldn't fucking believe it. And it's, that's amazing. Because this movie is so warped <laughs> in the way it portrays relationships. And he, he was going through a divorce, Cronenberg. God. And you know you know what year Brandon was born? 1980. Oh my God. 
Oh, Brian, Brandon is David's son who directed Possessor this past year. Yeah, pretty cool movie. And now Brandon's you know in his you know he's about forty now, but was born right after The Brood came out. Brandon Cronenberg is a rage spawn. <laughs> oh my God, isn't that? Lightning. For me, the scene is towards the end when you like you think the whole time Oliver Reed is the bad guy here, that he's the one manipulating yeah. Samantha Egger, but really Samantha Egger is manipulating this whole thing to have her way. Yes. And when she, you know, the fetus comes out of her like egg sack and she just starts cleaning it. Like, what do you do? I mean, you how do you respond to that yeah. as a as a viewer besides just like, you know, your mouth open? In complete like disgust and shock. I just don't think I'm gonna be able to do anything. Yeah, yeah for a couple of days. And the whole idea that like you can get so twisted in the way that you feel that your emotions can actually manifest into living, breathing monsters yeah. that enact your will. That's brilliant, but really fucked up. Extremely scary. And that's Cronenberg. Like only yeah. he could make a movie like this. I I, I really I. <laughs> After watching, I, I, I've seen almost all of his work now. This this might be the one that I'd be like, hey, if you really want to go there, I think this is the one you should watch. I think it marries, you know, his best aspects as a as a horror director. Yeah, and then it it, it it marries that with his most strange aspects. It's true because I think Shivers has some like problems, like plot wise and whatnot. But I think The Brood is like, oh, just a kick ass story, like yeah. just incredible stuff. Had to be made at some point for sure. I still think The Fly is his masterpiece. It's probably the better movie. Yeah. But God, The Brood is so fucking scary. The Brood is scary. The Fly is disturbing. Extremely. Just, and and yeah. you have you have one of one of my favorite horror performances ever from Goldblum. Oh I mean, God. just perfect. It's the only time he's ever not Goldblumed himself. It's the only time where he's ever really stepped out of his box. Yeah. And Seth Brundle is such a fascinating character. I love how this just became about The Fly. <laughs> Seth Brundle is such a fascinating character. we haven't character. done yet. We haven't. We, I did do the 50s one with Josh, yeah. but we have not yet done the Cronenberg masterpiece. See what I mean? We still got a long way to go. So many. I mean, you mentioned Nosferatu. We haven't done Nosferatu. <laughs> we, we barely tapped into, you know, horror. 20s, before, like 30s, this, yeah. 40, yeah. There's so much left to talk about. Oh, man. Yeah. Beautiful. But yeah, the brood masterpiece. Can't wait to do the fly. Beautiful. Uh, keeping with a disturbing, fucked up theme, we have number six a film that I knew was going to happen eventually on this podcast, and I'm glad it did. Episode 97, Hellraiser. Mm. <laughs> you don't get much more just mind-blowingly fucked up than Clive Barker. <laughs> that guy has problems. The dude brought s bondage to horror, and here we are. <laughs> yeah. God, I love Hellraiser. It's, yeah. <laughs> Hellraiser separates the men from the boys. That's a... That's a you know mark of a champion. Fucking pinhead, dude. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I love this one. Another one of my favorite episodes we did because it's it, it brings out the smile in horror fans. Yes, the weirdo, wacko, it's so, Joker smile. It's so ridiculously over the top, freaky. You can't help but laugh. Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> oh my god, the eighties <laughs> rule. Yeah, it makes you feel all kinds of ways about like movies. I, I was one of the, one of the, First, if I'm not mistaken, one of the first few reviews I did for Filmgasm. Yeah. I think I gave it an eight. And I remember talking to you about how I was kind of like, you know, a little a little disheveled <laughs> by, what, what, by what I had just watched because it was my first time. You could say that, yeah. But I also gave it an eight because I was like, I respect the hell out of how far this movie went, how, how kind of dark it gets. And then when I rewatched it, I, I kind of fell in love. 
I kind of fell in love for every little aspect of it and found it to be a movie that I, 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 I want to just show people. I want people to go down that road because yet yeah, it separates the men from the boys. Yeah, it's Hellraiser is not the kind of movie you just put on. It's you unless kinda, you're crazy, unless yeah. you're crazy or a diehard horror fan like Caleb and Josh. But this is a film that you kind of have to prepare yourself for. If you're going to watch it with somebody, you have to tell them, like, look, this is a Hellraiser. Like this is your last chance to back out. It's gonna get weird, yeah. Because that's what my mom told me when I when I watched this for the first time when I was way too young to be watching Hellraiser. Yeah, I can't imagine. We did a one in, a Hellraiser one and a Hellraiser two back to back because I had nothing else to do. I guess I don't. For the life of me, I can't fathom why the fuck I stayed for part two. <laughs> I don't know. Something <laughs> something deep down is telling you stay stay. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, it's a it's a wacky, wild, unbelievable, fucked up trip into Clive Barker's psyche that every horror fan should probably experience at least once. I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's not a it's not for every cinema lover, but for horror, you got to cross this one off. Yep. It's one of those. (laughs) Fantastic. Number five. Here we go. Top five. This is a film that has freaked me out so much over my over the course of my life it's the film that i didn't want to watch back when i first started watching horror movies because i knew this was gonna really scare me and i was right episode 28 the omen Mm. uh for me the king of biblical horror a film that captures the arrival of the antichrist in such a realistic way that it gets under your skin almost immediately uh from jerry goldsmith's freaky you know, Gregorian chant score to Gregory Peck's super realistic performance. This is a movie that I think has caused more accidental nightmares for me than maybe anything else on this list. Wow. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Pointing out the biblical aspect is of course kind of its advantage, you know, against other, other horror movies is that it has this nature that people believe in this. People really, really believe and, and, and the content. Yeah. <clears throat> that sets it apart immediately. The remake is trash uh, from the 2000s, so I'm just not a fan. Yeah. But this this, this is another one. We've had a few 70s ones here, and I, I think this is another one that kind of stands right there. Uh, one from this year that we didn't have that I, I love to pair with it is Carrie, 1976. Yeah, we only did uh, for the top 20 uh, films that we did together. Exactly. Carrie's one of those early ones that I did on my own yeah. that we have put back into the book and do plan to do again. Yeah, but yes, Carrie is fantastic. I, I I love thinking about those two movies coming out the same year, <laughs> just kind of, kind of coexisting, and I really like that. I think Carrie probably would have made an appearance had we both done that episode together. Just an awesome movie. But with the Omen, personally, there's an image that a, a moment from the movie that has stuck with me, pretty pretty hardcore since we did this episode is is the glass sliding through, yeah, <laughs> sliding through the neck. That's something I think about. A little more often than I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to admit, it's like uh, it's like any any situation where, where like maybe there's a worker outside, you know. I just that's like what I think about. Yeah. Like ah oh, fuck, like what if this guy yeah just got sliced by something coming by, you know, or or it even triggers like if I'm in the car and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? It's like this ladder could come flying out of this pickup truck and fly into my, you know, windshield and crash into me. The omen makes me think of things like that because so many 
evil things done by the devil <laughs> happen. And it makes you think about, like, if that stuff is real, <laughs> is the devil doing those little things around the world, like, you know, making people fall and doing this and doing that? It's it's a weird thought to have, you know? I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I, you know, in any stretch of the imagination, believe in all that stuff, but I think it's interesting to think about. And the omen fucks with it. Well, the omen shows you the Antichrist and how it would come about. Yeah. It's the realism that freaks me out so much. The zoo? Yeah, the zoo, oh. the the hellhounds following him around, <gasps> the crazy, like, loyal fanatics who just needle their way into the Thorns' lives, mm-hmm. the nanny, like, throwing mom out the window. That's the scariest scene for me, is the the, the chant rises up. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about this. Yeah, I know. The, the chant rises up. The lady is just, you know, staring at mom, and then she just flies out the fucking window. Yeah. There's, oh my god super super unsettling yeah awesome awesome movie the omen 1976 just has to be on this list oh f- for sure it yeah it's unrivaled to me and uh, i'm glad i eventually took the plunge just to become one of my favorite horror movies hell yeah <laughs> number four. Oh. oh boy this is another nice. just absolute masterpiece this is the last 80s one we swear <laughs> <laughs> episode 41 the thing Ah, Carpenter made it on this list twice. Good, yeah. for, good for him. Good for Carpenter. He deserves it. <laughs> this Escape from New York is one of our best episodes ever. So, yeah, yeah that was, yeah. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> the thing is, I remembered when I found out you hadn't seen this, and my immediate reaction was like, you need to leave right now and go watch The Thing. I did. <laughs> I did. I left work that day. I went back to where I was living. I was living with uh, three dudes at the time, and we had one TV in the living room, and I was like, Sorry, boys. Tonight's going to me and the thing. <laughs> and, and, and they actually, you know, sat there and watched it with me. And we kind of ended up, I ended up not only exposing myself to it, but other people. And that was great. That's fantastic. <laughs> Such a good movie. One of my fondest memories is going to Draft House with my uncle and my grandpa oh. to see the thing. God. Three generations of, of our family in love with this, with this movie. This man, Carpenter. Yeah. We did the same Kurt thing. Russell. We did the same thing for Escape from New York, and my uncle won a, uh, a like a free beer by answering a trivia question. Very nice. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a blast. The Thing is one of the most tense horror films ever made because you are just stuck in this constant sense of brutal paranoia where you don't know who's the Thing, you don't know who isn't, you don't know how far this goes, you don't know how they can win. It's just trapped with like you know, the devil from outer space. Yeah. It's so freaky. And Kurt Russell does a great job just playing a man on the edge, trying to hold it together. You know, McCready. Fuck yeah. Oh, McCready. <laughs> one, of, one of maybe Kurt's best best character, maybe Snake. I don't know. I don't know. It's, He's, it's Snake. <laughs> yeah, but I... Uh, S.D. I li- Pliskin, my friend. I like this movie quite a bit more than Escape, mm-hmm. but I understand that. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but the, the thing... The thing about the thing is, <laughs> is, uh, is the stakes. The stakes are super high. Yes. But they're also low because of how many people are there. Yeah. It's only exposed to this amount of people. So it's just this base of people dealing with this, you know, once in a lifetime <laughs> experience. And I, I much prefer that than if this was happening to like all of the United States. When you hone in on McCready and company, you really are with these guys in the cold, in the snow. It gives you it gives you this attachment to them that you don't really sign up for. You're just it, you're just you have no choice. By the end of the movie, you're like, "Oh fuck!" Is McCready doesn't what does McCready know? <laughs> you know, and 
and and for for a horror movie like a that's that's probably my favorite thing about Carpenter right is that he's a horror director who knows how to make good movies yes <laughs> and I I love when that can be paired I love when a guy knows how to make lasting cinema using the horror genre and that's that's Carpenter and that's the thing well, I think ultimately you have to thank Rob Bottin mm. for the unbelievable visual effects of Very this movie that's what shout. makes this movie good shout I mean yeah come on the monster still looks. Still looks great. All with like, you know, plastic bags and grape jelly. Gum and, yeah. And you create the most nightmarish creatures in movie history. Mm-hmm. And everything is different. Every like, attack by the thing is completely different. From the dogs opening up to the guy, you know, getting chest compressions and his chest opening up to be a big ass mouth to the head with spider legs. Like, what the fuck is this? This is amazing. Oh, yeah, the thing is a visual feast. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. The, the first time I ever watched this was through my mom's fingers, because again, why was I watching this so young? I don't know. <laughs> I was I was 20, let's see, right when I met you, 2000, some, 2017, early 2018. See, so yeah, I was 23, 24. <laughs> Way different. <laughs> yeah. But I think, again, with like with Hellraiser, the biggest question is, why didn't I just leave? Something, something. We weren't at the movies. We were in my you know, parents' bedroom watching this nightmarish something horror movie. Something pulled you in. Something. I think I on some subconscious level, I knew this is this is my future. I love this. I'm going to be obsessed with this movie in yeah. 10 years. <laughs> yep, that's where it all started. That's why I stayed. Beautiful. Yeah, The Thing. Carpenter's scariest movie. Uh, scariest scene, probably. I think everyone goes to the blood test. It's yeah. hard to argue with the blood test. Pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, oh, man. I, 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 I actually think uh, one of the most unsettling scenes is the beginning, is when these foreign guys just are coming into their base, yeah. and they're like, what the fuck are these guys doing? Shooting at the dog. Crazy. If Can you, sp- you imagine seeing that? You're like, why are they shooting this fucking dog? You know? Apparently, like, if you speak that dialect, the movie's spoiled for you immediately, because what they're saying is, that's not human. Don't let it get away. It's not human, or something like that. I think that's genius. Yeah. That all these guys just don't know how to understand what they're saying otherwise mm. they could have saved the day yeah from i think you know i love the blood test and i love that but the scene that really gets me every time is when they put the thing dog in the kennel with oh, the other dogs man. and you just see the other dogs looking at a thing like that's not one of us yeah. like the acting by the dogs well fucking done <laughs> some lassie caliber action right there yeah and these dogs are just like crowded in a corner trying to get away from this thing and the monster dog looks so fucking sinister yeah, I don't know what it is, but that that husky just looks evil. I don't know how they do that stuff. And then its head opens up, and it's like squidding across the... Fu- Jesus Christ. That part is just bonkers. And then McCready and the rest of them come in there to see like a dog pile of misshapen organs and skin and teeth. Yeah. And they're just like, fuck. And they light it up. And then they're all like, oh, this is this is our reality now. Yeah. <laughs> McCready? <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Who's... Is it Childs? He's like, you gotta be... Fucking yeah. kidding. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I love Childs. God. Yeah. I love everybody in this in that movie. <laughs> it's beautiful. All right. Home stretch. Last three. Top three scariest movies we've done on this show. Number three is a film that was giving me nightmares from the second I saw the preview. Episode 36, The Witch. Black Phillip. Mm. I've seen this movie about four or five times now, and it... It's it gets in my head. It's so weird. You don't know if it's really happening, if they're just losing their minds. 
and it's so the, the way that Robert Eggers did it is so real and the way they talk just feels like you're looking into a portal into 1680 mm-hmm. and every all the performances are so bonkers it's I don't understand how like how did this movie end up being so good I don't know either I I, I vividly remember watching the trailers and being like damn okay yeah. like what's going on here you know this is 2015 a24 you know they're really starting to kind of gain some steam and I just remember when it came out and I, I got multiple like texts from friends saying like this is the real deal like yeah this is the first horror movie in a while that will actually like scare you it'll actually make you make you think and I was like okay well I need to check this out and I I finally got around to an early 2016 and it was when I was living in St. Louis and I was by myself during the middle of the day at my apartment Jeez. and I just turned the lights off and I watched it and then I watched it again. And I remember that being one of the moments where I was like, this genre, mother fuck, you know, like, and then I was like, who is this? Who is Eggers? Who is Eggers? And I started reading about him and I was like, this is, this is what he's made. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and of course this is the guy who, who goes on to make the lighthouse, which I like even more. And I find it to be one of the strongest one twos I've ever seen in the horror, in the horror game in the horror genre. But the witch, the lighthouse is its own experience, but the the witch is like a textbook, you know, ghost, horror, whatever you want to really call it. Biblical stuff going on. This family that's like rivaling their relationship with God and their faith and the church and all this kind of crazy stuff all inside of like an hour and a half movie that just pierces right through you and has moments of, of, of pure, pure, you know, paranoia where Anya Taylor joy when she's playing with the baby and the baby disappears. Oh my and God. That's a classic scene. Or, you know, when the camera, the boy's name, the son, when he's Samuel, I think Sam is right. I think, I think that, I think that's right. He's just screaming, you know, they're trying to get demons out of him. There's exorcist happening. There's kind of like all these different things that happen in different horror movies in one. Yeah. But it's still like precise and short and a good movie in its own right. Just really blown away by it. And it just has to excite you as a horror fan for what Eggers is going to do with the rest of his career. Yeah. If this is what his first, oh, this is what I want to do first. I'm all in. I'm all in. Well, he's got like a, you know, a Viking epic sc- uh, scheduled for next year called the Northman. Yeah. With the Def- Defoe's coming back and like a couple other of his mainstays. I'm, f- I'm on board immediately, but yeah, yeah. the witch, I, I saw that with Caleb. Uh, we got it at draft house, um, in February of 2016, the same weekend we got Deadpool. Mm hmm. And uh, we saw the witch, and I was I was working there at the time, so I got free ticks. And uh, we saw the witch, and we were both left that kind of like emotionally drained, and just like, what is life? My God, that was a nightmare. So we went and saw Deadpool to kind of even ourselves out. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the witch. Um, there's so many different ways you can look at this film. They could all just be suffering hallucinations from their rotted corn. Or this could really be happening. Black Phillip is the devil and he's here to terrorize this family that betrayed the, their faith. Yeah. It's so mind-blowing. And the ending with Thomason in the, you know, with the book and the goat off screen, just, you know, talking like this. Yeah, it's so fucking creepy. <laughs> and see, yeah, and seeing the, seeing the witches, like, rise up. And, yeah, just, just awesome stuff. Yeah. Evil. P- yeah, pure evil inside yeah. of a movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's so many... You know, one of the smartest things you can do as a, as a horror director is depict 
your interpretation of evil. Yes. And Eggers pulled it off. Twice. My God. Yeah. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Beautiful. Number two, and this may surprise some people. Uh, this was a film I had seen one time and was looking forward to doing it on the show. And we, when we did it, it just blew my mind and stands as one of the greatest horror sequels of all time. Episode 103, The Exorcist 3. George C. Scott and Brad Dourif, baby. Oh my God. And yes, we. I do think that this is way scarier than The Exorcist. That's why this is here and The Exorcist is not. Sorry. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I have a deep connection to that one, but it's way, it's for way different reasons than than it being uh, scary. Yeah. It's it's like this the scene uh, with Exorcist. It's it's the stuff where it's kind of explaining in the dialogue what I yeah. love about horror. That's why I love that movie. Yeah. But with Exorcist three, it it like purely is visually like oh like the giant scissors. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and, and then when you have a guy with the amount of gravitas that George C. Scott has at his age during 19, you know, in the nineties, it kind of changes everything for, for me as a fan, I, I become kind of enthralled by the decision that someone like him would make to be in a movie like this. I love that. I have like a lot of respect for George C. Scott, I have a lot of respect for Brad Dourif. To, so to see two guys like that in this sequel that I just didn't have high hopes for yeah really cool really cool it paid off tremendously and obviously kind of stuck with both of us yeah especially you know after we did the train wreck that was exorcist 2 oh, last heretic right yeah, yeah just one, the heretic the heretic that yeah. one is a joke but we wanted a palate cleanser for the exorcist we wanted some redemption yeah because we like that 73 yeah. one this this that middle one that and sucks. this movie is one of it's such a brilliant sequel it builds on you know a different piece of the first exorcist you know what happened to father Karras. And was that real? Mm-hmm. And this film kind of te- you know teases you. You don't know if the exorcism was real, if it was all in their heads, until really the very end. And it plays with you know like themes of faith, themes of redemption, themes of you know nightmarish just shit. <laughs> and yeah, it's just a hodgepodge of yeah, just yeah. kind of hellish shit. And it is you know the highlights, like you said, are seeing George C. Scott and Brad Dourif like go to go, to go at each other. It's yeah. amazing. They're both just goddamn titans. Yeah, just incredible and so different, so different performers, you know. Yeah. But then on the other side of it, you got Nicole Williamson uh, as Father Morning, who's like planning this exorcism, mm-hmm. and like that whole scene is, you know, bonkers when he gets like glued to the ceiling. Jesus, like just oh my god, the lady like walking on the ceiling, the the out of nowhere with the big scissors. Ugh. There's some frightening, like pulse pounding moments in this film. Yeah, and, and it, I think it rose more and more on this list just because we were so shocked by it. We were shocked, we were pleasantly surprised, and we will never forget this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely one I want to throw in again, you know, at some point. And, and and again, one that kind of just rose with sentiment because the show brought it to light for us and gave us a really kick-ass horror movie. And that's obviously what we're trying to do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and that takes us to number one. Oh, the scariest man. movie we've that we think we've ever done on this show so far, and what let's let's recap. What are some things that we tend to be attached to in horror movies? We've got paranoia. We've got you know demonic possibilities. We've got the ghost story yes. aspect. We've got family drama. We've yes. got yeah. you know monstrous visuals, uh, originality, atmosphere, and a movie that captures literally all of that 
is episode 18, Hereditary. <laughs> yes. Another, another A24 movie. Uh, this one by Ari Aster. His directorial debut. I can't believe it. And, and just, uh, just a, you know, I think you called pa- pound pulsing or what'd you say? Pulse pounding. Pulse pounding. Yeah. That, that's hereditary pretty much the whole time. And, and you, you point out all these, these things that we love. And it does all those things while Tony Collette is like crushing it out of the park. Gabrielle Byrne gives a really understated, underrated performance. And Alex Wolf is like fucking perfect in this movie. Uh, I, I, I have a lot of feelings about, and doubt, just <laughs> tremendous performance. I have a lot of things to say about the, the fundamentals of Hereditary. I love the decision making. I love the, the, the score. I love all the performances. I, the setting. I, I love all of those things. I love his... I love the homage that Ari Aster's willing to pay to guys like Kubrick with the over-the-head shot and things that he's able to appreciate about horror and then bring into his own movie. I very much respect. And then it's just fucking scary. Yes. Uh, where do we even begin? Um, <laughs> I think I think right from the get-go, you know, you're you're immediately put into a place that you love to be in horror movies where you're, you're at a funeral at the beginning of the movie. Okay, we're going to be dealing with some death. Okay, and you, you find out it's this it's Tony Collette's mom, and she's involved with all this crazy shit, and it starts starts unraveling and unraveling, and halfway through the movie, the girl's head falls off, and you're like, you're just you're you're left really in no man's land as far as yeah. movies go, and and Ari Aster's best trait is he does not hold your hand, does not hold your hand, does not really care if it's uh you know pleasing to the eye. It's it's whatever he has in mind for being the most interesting at that moment. And I, I really appreciate that about him. <laughs> Hereditary remains just one of the most frightening films I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I've seen it about five, six times now. Yeah. And I, I introduced it to my uh, my parents at a beach vacation we took last summer. And they couldn't talk. Like, they were so freaked out they couldn't speak. And these are hardcore, lifelong horror fans who rented out the entire horror section of Blockbuster one movie at a time. Mm-hmm. And this movie messed them up. <laughs> messed me up, man. Yeah. It messed me up again. I thought I could handle it this time. And I'm like, no, yeah. I'm yeah. sleeping with the light it on. It gets tonight. worse. It gets harder. It does. This yeah. movie, it, you know, once it finally does happen, once the, you know, the top gets blown with Charlie's death, this film just erupts like a volcano of dark, nightmarish, blob, freaky shit. Yeah. And Tony Collette. <laughs> is on, you know, her top of her game the entire time. Yeah, it's it, it very well may be her her like most most like as far as range goes, just her, her best performance. She's yeah. all over the place. If ever a horror film deserved an, as, an acting Oscar, it was this one. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Oh my god. Oh yeah. And um yeah, the whole like the last 20 minutes of this film I don't think are, you know, they're unrivaled. I mean, this it's horrific. The King Payment buildup and and the, the kind of fall, it, yeah, it's yeah. just uh, perfect. From dad lighting himself on fire to mom w- crawling on the fucking wall <laughs> to the banging their head on the, you know, on the attic door to m- grandma's corpse to like, oh my God. Tony Collette with the... the with the, the piano her, wire. her neck. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, and, and Dowd is just there like, yeah, it was me the whole time. <laughs> They're all naked in the treehouse. That like unsettling, like almost heroic score playing. Yeah, and the yeah. Cr- you know 
the demon is home. The crown is on his head. Like, hail King Payman. It's all like, good. Yeah. What the <laughs> fuck, man? Like, this, I, I will never be comfortable watching this movie. I, I never will be. But it is by far the most powerful and frightening horror film of the last 20 years. I, yeah, I, I can't can't argue with that, man. I I remember when I... I'll, well, I'll never forget when I saw it in theaters. Uh, got to go to the, the employee screening before. And I, I was, like, looking around, like, I hope people just realized what we saw right here. Yeah. I hope... And I think mostly... I, I really do. I think people who have seen it and, and have, like, a fondness for it, like, really hold on to Hereditary. Obviously, we're in that boat. Yeah. It, it, it was something... I, I looked at you, and I was like, dude, like... <laughs> right when you get off work, like sit your ass down and watch this movie. Like it, it is special. And it, it goes, it just breaks through any barrier that I thought, you know, horror had, you know? And yeah. I, I mentioned earlier that American werewolf was like, see what horror can do. Hereditary does that kind of hand over fist over and over where I, I remember my dad going to see it in theaters and he does not care about horror. He was just like, my son told me Tony Collette deserves an Oscar for this. I'm going to go check it out. And he was like, whoa, you know, <laughs> everyone I recommended it to, they came back just like, wow. Yeah. Thank you. You know, that sort of thing. And that's really all you want. When you find something you love, you want to share with people, you want them to also receive it and love it. And Hereditary has this kind of cult status already. And I, I, I'm, I'm very pleased with that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it has risen to like the place it deserves to be, which is regarded as one of the best horror movies of the 20, past 20 years. Yeah, and I'm so glad that we got to include it in the early years of our show. It was, it was really the first, well, it was the episode where you and I were like, all right, we should start doing this, me and you, like, yeah. every time. Yeah. It was significant in that way, too. It was the film that really kind of started to change the format of the show. And I <laughs> yeah, I couldn't say enough great things about this movie. It's, it's really remarkable. And uh, if you haven't seen it, you are missing something. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, fuck. Watch this movie. Charlie, stop doing that. <laughs> Gabriel Byrne is just like, where the hell am I? <laughs> when he's at the stoplight, he's just like, <sighs> Gabriel Byrne does like one movie every five, six years and then disappears. And I, it's not, I love him. I, I really do everything I've seen him in. I'm like, man, good. He knows how to pick movies. This guy knows how to pick roles. And I'm like, that movie, not only were you good, but the movie's really good. You don't see him very often, but when you do, you get it. Yeah, it's like Miller's Crossing <laughs> takes a break until Usual Suspects. What the? Although he was in Ghost Ship, so maybe we should reevaluate that. Probably. <laughs> he probably has like 60 acting credits, and we look through and we're like, I don't even know what these are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That was fun. Yeah. That yeah. was really fun. Really fun doing a top 20. You want to go through them again real quick, just for yeah. a little recap? Number 20, The Invisible Man, episode 56. Number 19, Black Christmas, episode 43. Number 18, The Blair Witch Project, episode 54. Number 17, 28 Days Later, episode 79. Number 16, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, episode 101. Number 15, Drag Me to Hell, episode 29. Number 14, The Shining, episode 1 and episode 57. Number 13, As Above, So Below, episode 92. Number 12, Halloween, episode 34. Number 11, Zodiac, episode 48. Number 10, An American Werewolf in London, episode 46. Number 9, Ichi the Killer, episode 60. Number 8, Poltergeist, episode 31. Number 7, The Brood, episode 81. Number 6, Hellraiser, episode 97. Number 5, The Omen, episode 28. 
Number four, The Thing, episode 41. Number three, The Witch, episode 36. Number two, The Exorcist 3, episode 103. And number one, Hereditary, episode 18. Mm. The 20 freakiest, scariest, most disturbing films we've watched on this podcast. Yeah, it's some of those, you know, rankings I'm sure we could yeah, flip around. And yeah, it's it, bottom line is these 20 movies kick ass and every horror movie Every horror movie fan should should try to find them if they haven't yet. These represent some of the best we've gotten to, to enjoy on this show. Exactly. Yeah. So with that, you know, this past year has been uh, crazy for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had to really uh, reevaluate the way we do the show, the way we record, the way we pick movies, so we could be a little bit more accessible. Yeah. And uh, we ended up, you know, Zoom has been a lifesaver for us. It's, man, it's just given us the ability to do this show during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um not i don't you know I'm, I'm i'm grateful that we were able to do that but also that we were able to grow through this we were able to kind of in our own way with the show beat the pandemic by developing content and building our team and our our brand um in a bigger way yeah yeah not letting it um distract us too negatively uh, or break us. Yeah, yeah. I, I think plenty of people have pushed creative projects to the side. Yeah. Uh, and then there's been people who have who have kind of attacked them harder. Uh, and I think you and I have just simply gotten gotten more hungry for for this for this exactly what we're doing for creating content and becoming a part of you know the discourse of movies. Of we have ideas of some movies that we would like to recommend to people. And we also have movies that we just want to kind of banter about for fun. Um, it's, it's, you know, nothing we're doing is like a, a set in stone thing. We just, we just want to kind of be a part of the, the culture. Yeah. The movie culture. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be a part of that, you have to contribute in some way, whether that be, you know, create your own thing or talk about it or write about it or whatever it is. And we're clearly here to stay, you know, uh, we've got this show that's been going for t- two straight years now we haven't we haven't missed an episode yet uh we've got oscar sunday which is hitting its episode 40 this weekend doing a best picture showdown on chariots of fire 1981 and that show hasn't missed a beat yet and sneak preview is about to be on its 10th episode yeah coming up uh on monday and that's just been a wonderful show because we feel as though uh you know if we want to be a part of this movie journey then we need to keep up with what's happening right now Yes. In film currently in 2021 and moving forward. And so sneak preview has opened up all kinds of new doors for us to just talk about what's happening right now, what we like and don't like about it. That's, that's all, that's all we're trying to do. And we, we want to create a lane for every movie fan to go. If you just like horror and you don't really care about the Oscars, that's totally fine. I totally get it. The Oscars are kind of bullshit <laughs> and horror and horror is not. So I, I totally understand if you want to stay with film gasm or if you like the Oscars and you don't really like horror too much, we got somewhere for you to go. And we also have the Giggle Guys coming on Friday. Yes. Two days. <laughs> March 5th. Uh, super excited for them to bring, bring bring their voices on board. Andrew Bachman and Juwan Carter, both guys who live uh, in San Antonio, Texas, and just really cool guys, really, really interesting minds. And I, I'm very, very excited for people to be able to uh, download their episodes, play them, because I, I think they have some really cool stuff in store. I'm really excited for them. And it's just another way for more fans to listen to us. Uh, comedy. That's a huge, huge genre that I think has been misunderstood forever. <laughs> so I, I'm really excited for them to be able to do that and 
just creating more avenues for people to listen and become a part of the conversation. That's that's what we want. Absolutely. And in this past, you know, these past two years, I've been extremely grateful mm-hmm. to have an avenue to talk about this stuff and to have built a team that I believe in yeah. and I'm proud of. And uh, it started with you, man. It really did. You you become like my my best friend through this whole thing. And this I'm, is this is the bread and butter, yeah. baby. <laughs> this has been an amazing ride, and I'm so happy to keep going. Uh, I'm very happy to have you know Josh Allred and Julie Cervantes on my filmgasm team. Oh yeah, they're kicking ass. They're doing their best work, and I'm happy to have them. Andrew and Juwan, grateful to have them on board to do their thing. Um, you guys might be meeting uh, filmgasm co-founder Caleb Leger. Yeah. Um, soon in a few months. Uh, very happy to have him back on on board. Hopefully, and uh, these are my these are my guys. These yeah. are this is who I can count on to deliver a great show every week for two years now. Yeah, this is fantastic. I I've loved every second of this, and I can't wait for the next year. Yeah, me too. That's that's the main thing. Is like I I just think it's going to get better. Um, well, it will get better. We're just going to get stronger at doing this and everyone's going to find their voice more and more as we practice. Uh, we're, we're, we're all fairly young and we, we, are pretty hungry. We, we, we want to do this, you know, to talk about this every day. You know, this yeah. is Con- Connor and I are texting constantly about what we want to do for the show and what we're just watching in general, you know, <laughs> like uh, there's been times where you and I are just, you know, chatting about stuff that's unrelated to the podcast at all, you know, at all. And I, that, that's what we want to continue doing no matter what, you know, is creating the conversation off, off the podcast. That's what we do in our own lives. So why not bring it here? (laughs) And it's, it's been so much fun, man. I think 2021 and 2022 and so on and so forth is we're only going to keep adapting and keep growing. That's all it is. You know, uh, we're never going to be scared of changing and getting better. That's it. You know, that's the, the, these shows are not, again, they're not like set in stone. They're willing to breathe willing to change and adapt and take on new things and take on new people. Absolutely. And, you know, if anybody here has been, you know, listening consistently, thank you from the bottom of our hearts, really. Oh, this my is, God, yeah. We're grateful every day that people want to hear what we have to say. The 13,000 views on Drag Me to Hell is like, yeah, I mean, of course that makes me really happy and really proud. I, I we, we want that. We want people to hear us. We want people to give feedback. We want, we want all those things, you know, uh, It'd be silly to act like we want this to always be what it was at the start. Yeah. That'd be silly. That'd be lazy. That's not who we are. Yeah. No. If that was the case, I would be doing this by myself. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. There was no way you were going to go uh, longer than like a year without me being like, can I do something with the Oscars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've all got somewhere to be somewhere, you know, something to say here. And I'm, yeah. I'm happy about that. I'm happy we've been able to make a inclusive uh, creatively free environment for all of our guys. Exactly. Very happy about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great place to, to work basically. Like it's a good, good group of people to be chatting with, texting, talking about movies and just creating content together. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us this long. We hope you stick with us a little longer. Oh yeah, man. Don't miss giggle guys on Friday. Yeah. Two days away. Don't miss Oscar Sunday, episode 40 on chariots of fire. And then, Back, back, back next week on Filmgasm with uh, with Julie, Josh, 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 that's right, Josh that's next right. week we're doing a, a pull from the book. <laughs> yes, uh, 1981's Hell Night. That it's great because we're doing Chariots on Oscar Sunday. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> a Linda Blair starring uh, 
haunted house movie that neither of us have seen yet. So I like that uncharted territory. Um, keeping it fresh. That's gonna be fun. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, fantastic. We'll, uh, see you next Wednesday. Keep watching movies.